the uh, uh, as uh, as Daniel Marshall travels from way up in Connecticut where he was born and and uh, raised um, in a uh, congregational church I think and and uh, doesn't become a Baptist until he's 48 and then starts making his way down the the seaboard to Virginia and then Sandy Creek North Carolina a very short stop in like a one-year stop in South Carolina where he founds eight churches in one year. And then on to uh, Georgia where, uh, you know, it's kind of funny because when you think of Georgia, you think of Baptists. I mean, if the religious, if you think of religion in, in Georgia, you think of Baptists. And uh, when he got to Georgia, Baptist, the Baptist church was illegal. You could not be a Baptist. And it, it's funny. You know, the Persecution is about the best thing that can happen. Um, I think it's just part of the American way. If you tell us we can't do it, by golly, that's what we're going to be. So don't read your Bible this week. The, uh, <laughs> and anyway, um, he ends up at a place along uh, the Kyoki Creek, which I've been saying Kyoki all the time, but it's Kyoki. Creek, and it's about 20 miles from Augusta, where they play the Masters tournament, um, uh, golf tournament. Anyway, um, he he ends up there in in uh, the late 1760s, early 1770s, and uh, I think he founds the church in 1772. But but uh, while he's, I mean, he's he's an older gentleman at this point, and he and his wife. Uh, Martha are there, and and they have a um, uh, they, they're having a kind of a brush arbor meeting, and he's arrested. And I, I told you all this anyway. As I was reading all this and just getting more more into this this family and into this church, I decided decided last week I would call the Kyoki Church and find out a little bit more about them. And uh, you know, are they still pretty? Fundamental, or are they have they gone off the deep end? Are they a bunch of wackos? What's the deal? And I uh, I had a nice visit with their associate pastor, by, guy by the name of Wes Gardner, who uh, was a, a joy to talk to. Uh, and I'm very pleased to tell you that uh, as they are in their service, because it's an hour later there, right now that there's probably around six or seven hundred people in their service. It's a very fundamental. Uh, Southern Baptist Church that um, is well grounded and uh, and it, it's kind of funny when, when we were talking <laughs> he was a funny guy and he he said to me he said what well, y'all have any rednecks up there <laughs> and I said well wanted to find redneck for me and he said well you know hard working pickup driving Bible believing Jesus loving Gun-toting. Uh, Gun-toting, uh, right wing. Uh, he just went on down the line. Uh, good old boys. And I said, yeah, we got a few of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you can send them on down if you want. And uh, and for those of you that fit that category, uh, I'm supposed to tell you that every year, visit applingarchers.com because the town right there is Appling. And Kyoki Church, Baptist Church, um, I keep saying Kyoki Church, but it's Baptist Church. They have not dropped the name Baptist out of it. Um, has this big um, 
archery shoot every year where hundreds of people come and camp there. It's kind of like a family camp, but it's an archery thing, and they have big contests and stuff. But it's a ministry of the church and a big outreach, and, and uh, they have you know services all the time. But in between services, they have the have the, the the shoot. Anyway, he sent me a he sent me a, a DVD, and we're not going to watch the whole, whole DVD, but they but I want to show you just this short dramatization about Daniel Marshall. So that uh, at that old church is where they still have the baptistry. They don't have they got a huge church, and it doesn't have a baptistry in it because they go down to the old church whenever they have baptism, and uh, it's it's pretty neat. At the end of the video, there's pictures of him baptized. Now. And I, I get the impression that it's like out back, that it's an outside baptistry. Anyway, um, Abraham, be, Abraham uh, Marshall, as he said, followed his father. Um, and he, one of the things that really strikes me about these early Baptists in, in America, every chance they got, they preached. I mean, they never backed off from a chance to preach. And, ne- you know, when they went on vacation, uh, and vacation is a relevant uh, term as far as, you know, when, when they went traveling, they looked for places to preach. I mean, when they came into a, into a town, of course, many of the communities had circuit pastors, preachers who, you know, they were here this week and here next week and here the next week. And then um, deacons ran the church the rest of the time. And so there were often pulpits that, that needed a, a preacher. And, and uh, Abraham was going back up north to uh, settle some affairs back in Connecticut. And as he traveled, this was, would have been in uh, 1786, he, he stopped everywhere he could and preached and saw people come to, to uh, Christ in every place that he, every place that he stopped. But when he got farther north, he stopped at somebody's home, and people would just take him in and let him stay there. And he was a bachelor at this point. He's about 40 years old. And he, uh, he stopped, and they said, oh, we know your cousin, uh, Eliakim Marshall. And, you know, of course, he'd never met, met his cousin. He said, oh, tell me about him. Well, he's, he's a preacher, too. He's a, he's a congregational preacher, and he's one of the most well-known men in, in Connecticut. And everybody just thinks the world of him. In fact, he even uh, fin- finished second in the last election for governor. And you know, so, so uh, he said, well, if, he is that, if he's that smart, when I get to talk to him, he'll become a Baptist. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, so, he, so he went on up and, and he met his cousin and, uh, his, and his, Eliakim and they invited him to stay with them, and he did for, for several weeks. And, of course, it didn't take very long for him to get into theology, and it didn't take very long for him to convince uh, Eliakim that, that uh, he needed to become a Baptist. And, uh, and especially, it was, you know, the big... Eliakim was definitely a born-again Christian, but uh, the issue of infant baptism. And so... so uh, he, he, had, he had been convinced in his heart, but had not made any kind of public profession or, or anything, and especially because his wife really did not want him to do this. 
because he was a man of great influence. And he, she knew that if he became a Baptist, his chances of ever becoming governor would go right down the tubes. His, he, he would lose so much influence in, his, in the community. And so, he, so uh, Eliakim said to, said to Abraham, you know, what do you, what do you think I should do? He said, I think you should come hear me preach tonight. And he, uh, when, he, when he preached, he preached uh, on the verse um, that said, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And it spoke to Eliakim to that if he was going to be a Baptist, he needed to really become a Baptist. And it really, it really spoke to me. A couple of times, people have said, you know, well, what's the big deal about being a Baptist? You know, or, or even, what's the big deal about being a Christian? Well, the, the whole idea of if you're going to be a Christian, be a Christian. Don't be living on the edge. And I would take it a step farther. If you're going to be a Baptist, be a Baptist. You know, don't, don't. Walk that fine line and be living out on the edge of, of everything. Um, either embrace it or don't. Um, and and that was and so Eliakim uh, became a Baptist and became a Baptist pastor and became a very influential Baptist pastor uh, in New England. Although uh, he pretty much lost all of his political influence when he did that. Um, four years later, Abraham made another trip north. Uh, and at this point, he's 44 years old, and uh, he ends up staying at the home of a, of a Baptist preacher in Spotsylvania, Virginia, a guy by the name of uh, John Waller. Oh, I need to mention that, that uh, why was he making this trip? He had decided, he was 44 years old, he decided that he needed a wife. And so he prayed to God that, he said, God, I'm going to go on this trip, I'll go all the way up to Connecticut and back. And I need two things. I need a good horse. <laughs> and I need you to find me a wife on this trip. Okay? <laughs> well, a couple days later, somebody came up and said, I hear you're taking a trip to Connecticut, and I hear as you're looking for a wife. <laughs> I can give you a horse. <laughs> Stay away from my daughter. <laughs> no, I don't know about the second one. But, but he loaded up, and, uh, and so he had his horse, and he headed up, and he stopped at this um, uh, Virginia pastor's house in, in, in Spotsylvania named John Waller, who was a, a pastor of, of renown in Virginia. And he had a daughter by the name of Ann, who they really hit it off. And um, he said, I'll tell you what, it's been really nice knowing you. I, I've got a commitment, I've got to go on to Connecticut, but I'll stop on the way back. And um, on the way, he went up, visited Eliakim, and, and uh, came back and stopped in Spotsylvania again. And um, three days later, he decided that, yep, this was the woman he wanted to marry. Three days after that, so six days, six days they were together. He, he asked uh, her to marry him, and they were married that afternoon. 
And uh, so Ann and, and Abraham came back to, to Georgia and, and had a great ministry together. She was um, 31. So, and, you know, and, and in spite of the fact that a lot of these people that we're talking about lived to be reasonably old, um, that was unusual in those days. Men and women just didn't live to be very old. And uh, anyway, so, um, and then the, uh, they had a son, at least one son, but they had one son that I find out about, um, Jabez, who had, um, who, who became the next pastor there at Kaioki when, uh, when uh, Abraham died. And, of course, he was much, I mean, they were, he was 44 when, when they got married. And I don't know how soon Jabez was born, so he was you know, quite a bit uh, older. <clears throat> uh, and what was the other thing I was going to say? Oh, there, there are, oh, the, the, pa, the constable who you saw arresting him, uh, Daniel, was Samuel Cartledge, who then went to South Carolina and basically evangelized all of South Carolina, founded several churches, and... Um, I've lost my train of thought. What the other thing I was going to say about that? But uh, but Kyle Key is still uh, going strong and and still real fundamental and real. It's oh I didn't know what I was going to say. Is there still um, a lot of marshals in that church? Uh, Sunday school teachers and and so forth and cartilages. Uh, the families are still there and uh, are still being active in the church, which I think is really cool, too. It's just like Mark said, one of the one of the hallmarks of these people, the Baptist at this time was they were very evangelistic. And that really because of that that made a profound impact on the history of our nation. Virginia was a stronghold for the Anglican Church. And because of Schubel Stearns and the Marshalls and that, the gospel started uh, making major inroads there. Harris, Leland. Yep. And um, Virginia really wanted to put a stop to it. So the Anglican church started um, really persecuting these Bible believers. And they were fine. Baptists were fine for not attending the state church. They were ordered to pay tithes to the state church. Um, it's interesting, when my brother lived out in a strong Mormon area, one day, someone came and knocked at his door and said, uh, we're here to collect tithes. And he said, I gave my tithes. That I don't go to a Mormon church. And they said, well, the address here says you're Mormon. And they actually go and knock on doors. They don't care if you come as long as you collect tithes, I guess. But that's what happened here. They were fined for not paying their tithes, for not attending they were ordered to get a license to preach, as was portrayed here, and, and they would forbid anyone that didn't have their approval to preach. 
um, rewards were given to citizens if they would turn in a person that was a Baptist. And um, infant children were actually taken from Baptist parents and baptized. Now, I've tried to find out, did they return them to those parents? Did they keep them? I don't know. But they would take them and baptize them, thinking that that did something to their soul. But in spite of all this, the gospel really went forward. And um, men like uh, John Weatherford and, and James Ireland, they were in prison for preaching the gospel. They were in prison five months. And every day during those five months, they preached from their, their jail cell just through the open bars. And as I mentioned before, opponents would come, and as they'd stick their hand out the open bars, they'd try to slit their wrists and so on. And, and um, they were finally released, but they couldn't be let go until they paid their, um, basically, their jail fees, which are room and board. They were charged for staying there, and they didn't have money to do it, but uh, they were released. Someone... Um, anonymously came and paid their fees. It was 20 years later, John Weatherford was a neighbor to Patrick Henry, and they were discussing the battles for liberty and so on and and what they'd been involved in. It was Patrick Henry who paid their fines to release them. Now, Patrick Henry wasn't a Baptist, but Patrick Henry greatly admired uh, their pursuit of liberty. Um, he, he actively, he was an attorney, and he actively defended um, the Baptist preachers that were imprisoned throughout, uh, throughout uh, Virginia. In one, one case, he argued, he said, If I have rightly understood the king's attorney of this colony has framed an indictment or a crime of great magnitude, as disturbers of the peace, did I hear it distinctly, or was it a mistake of my own? Did I hear an expression as if a crime that these men are charged with? What? For preaching the gospel of the Son of God? I mean, and we can't do it justice. Patrick Henry was an orator. But he said, what, they are charged with the crime of preaching the gospel of the Son of God? And he actively uh, defended these and was, was moved by them. There was, a, there was a, another gentleman um, by the name of John Leland. And um, he was a neighbor to Thomas Jefferson and to James Madison. And they spent a lot of time together. And if you know anything about our Constitution, Thomas Jefferson and James Madison played huge roles in this. But by now, the major group of people in Virginia had become the Baptist. They were the, the power source, so to speak. And uh, John Leland told, told Madison that the Virginians would never approve a Constitution that did not guarantee religious liberty. Patrick Henry said, well, let, that's all right. Let's say you can have an Anglican church, a Congregational church, a Presbyterian church, and a Baptist. We'll include that. And um, John Leland said, no, 
That's not liberty. We want there to be no business in them, the government, telling us, any of the people, how they may respond. And he told them, he told James Madison, we won't support it. John Leland was nominated to be a delegate, a delegate of the Virginia Convention to the Constitutional Convention. And James Madison was also nominated to be a delegate. Um, Leland met with Madison, and Madison said, I will make sure that the Religious Liberty Clause is included. As you know, it became the First Amendment. But he said, I will guarantee that that will be included. And... Um, and John Leland had spent much time with James Madison. He trusted him. He believed him. And John Leland said, if that's the case, I'm going to withdraw my name from nomination to represent Virginia here, and I'm going to throw my support to you, James Madison. Well, you know, God is in control of every detail. James Madison was very eloquent, even much more so than John Leland. And and because of John Leland's pursuit of this with the people and demanded this, and then his willingness to put aside his personal ego, he stepped aside. Because of that, we now have the First Amendment in the Constitution. And it was because of these people. You know, there's a debate. Should Christians be involved in politics? And if, if they weren't, um, we wouldn't have the religious liberties that we have today. And uh, Leland was mightily used of God to influence many, many people. But Jefferson would comment. Jefferson was not a believer, as we know it, in the sense of, of uh, trusting Jesus Christ. But he had a great respect for the passion for the belief, for the, the pursuit of liberty that he saw among Baptists. In fact, uh, Jefferson lived near a small Baptist church, and for several months he would attend every... This is fascinating. He would attend every one of their business meetings, and, and he would observe. And he would say, you know... How they conduct their business is how a government ought to be run. Now think of it. An unsaved person attending something as mundane as a business meeting, which many people, many people joke in history, current history, man, business meetings, you know, more church troubles at business meetings. I hate going to business meetings. If you've attended business meetings here, by the grace of God, they've been uh, without conflict and turmoil. And, and yet, it's a great opportunity for ministry that had a profound impact on Thomas Jefferson. And Thomas Jefferson was one of the key players in our Constitution. And... The names like John Leland and James Ireland, we don't, as a people, don't know. But they impacted Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, Patrick Henry, 
And because of them, we have the religious liberty that we have today. And it was this small group. Roger Williams came and then the gospel spread through Schubel Stearns and, and all these others. And what were they doing? They didn't say, I want to do a great work. They just said, I want to obey God. And whatever my hand finds to do, do it with all my might. And they had a passion for God. And they wanted to be light in darkness. And because of that, the light of the U.S. was raised up. And because of that, we're turning away from that. The light is being turned out. And again, what's the answer? We need to be evangelistic. We need to carry the gospel. It, it's, the answer isn't getting so-and-so elected, although we need to be involved in the political process, as was seen there. But um, it's just being a light wherever you are. And um, thank God for these people and for every John Leland, there's... Others that we didn't even know about, but God knows about. Absolutely. Like, at the same time, the American Baptist Mission, Missionary Society was founded. And, and uh, John, was it John Peck? Was the first missionary yep. west of the Mississippi. Founded uh, the uh, Baptist Church in St. Louis that Marshall and I went to a couple of years ago and visited on, on a Sunday morning. Um, the evangelism and and really uh, missions is evangelism and evangelism is missions and and uh, I saw a, a poster one time in a Baptist church that really said it all that that missions is not a church program it is the church program hmm. and when we stop being evangelical when we stop being missions minded across the street and around the world, it's all over. And because the other thing is that whether it be, whether it be a, a, an organized fashion or, or, or not, Satan has got his missionaries out there big and bad. And they are, they are out there everywhere. Anybody know where the largest, uh, the the, you know, we talk about mega churches. Anybody know where the biggest church in the world is as far as Sunday morning attendance? Taejon, South Korea. Average Sunday morning attendance, 125,000 people. Okay? The three biggest churches in the world are all in, in Korea, in South Korea. And it was because after the Second World War, the Presbyterians, who were at that time were pretty much on the ball, um, said we, we want to minister to, to Korea and Japan. Now, here's where it gets interesting. The Presbyterians were starting to go liberal at that point, just starting to. And so they took their best and their brightest, who were the liberals, and sent them to Japan. And they took their second-tier guys, who were the conservatives, and sent them to Korea. Today, Korea, South Korea, is one of the most Christian nations in the world. Japan would not be. And, you know, as we hear all of this, we need to bring it down to ourselves and we need to say, okay, how do I love the truth? And it's not, oh, look, I'm one of these that 
influence Patrick Henry. It's who am I influencing and how am I being the light and am I really true to the call that God has given me? And don't make the call some big thing. If you are a Christian, you are called to be a light. Let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for men and women who have gone before us that were willing to obey you regardless. And Lord, I pray that we would take personal the responsibility that you have given to us. And I pray that we would be lights that have an impact and an influence on those we come in contact with. And I pray that there would be many turned to righteousness as a result, for we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.